Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. All right, well, here we are ready to do another podcast where I get an opportunity to have a chat with an accessibility practitioner. And today I am speaking with Lorelai Root. Hello, Lorelai, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm pretty good, thanks. Trying not to melt in this heat wave we're having, but otherwise pretty good. <laughs> well, where are you talking to us from? Uh, Guelph, Ontario, Yeah, not too far outside of Toronto. All right. Well, I'm uh, at my home office on Vashon Island, which is near Blink's Seattle headquarters. Uh, and so it's been hot here as well, but not uh, as much as other parts of the world. Um, it's good to uh, have you here as uh, part of this. And uh, always a good place to start is if you could tell us a little bit about your current position and the type of work that you're involved in. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I work as a digital accessibility specialist with a specific focus. Uh, my career has had a specific focus on video game accessibility. Um, currently, I work for a company that actually does corporate training experiences, but a lot of the same tools used in video game development um, I'm using to kind of help make sure that all of their experiential learning is as accessible as possible, especially since it's gone virtual. Um, so I, yeah, I work for a corporate training company called Eagles Flight right now, uh, where I'm their digital accessibility specialist, but I also work uh, on contract for a few different game developers as well. And I'm helping inform the uh, design of video games that are currently in the making. All right, that's a that's great to hear about that. And I I, I want I have uh, some things I want to ask about your uh, current activities. But one of the things I always like to do in this uh, program is to uh, kind of find out where people got their start with work life live life uh, for accessibility. So kind of uh, open it up to you as to where to start. Uh, uh, in terms of uh, your career, uh, you know, what led you to your uh, uh, current, current career path? For myself, um, I am a disabled woman myself. I have multiple sclerosis and some other health things as well. And I had a massive ischemic stroke in 2014. And that's really when I shifted my focus from just video game development to specifically video game accessibility. Um, and really, it kind of all started because I was a, a little kid who liked to play games and always wanted to work on games. And then one day found myself unable to play games anymore in 2014 at 24 years old and just kind of realized that there was so far we had to go to making video games more accessible. So um, I really shifted my focus at that time to the accessibility side of things. Um, and part of that was just naturally as like being disabled, I, I really wanted to advocate for my own needs and for the removal of barriers for my own experience. And uh, as it's gone on, I've had the, the pleasure of working with other disabled individuals with different um, types of disabilities and kind of been able to collaborate with them on making sure that things are widely accessible to people with a range of disabilities. So 
yeah, I think it all kind of started in 2014 when I had my stroke. Um, I had uh, a massive ischemic, ischemic stroke, which was caused by a blood clot um, and it blocked the blood flow to my brain. So as a result of that, for a, a very long period of time, I was una unable to speak anymore. Um, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't do most things that I used to enjoy doing, but some of the big ones were difficulty with speaking, di difficulty with reading and writing. Um, I had the entire left side of my body was paralyzed and I couldn't use it or feel it. So all of a sudden I just couldn't do the thing that I love to do for fun anymore. And it was really difficult. And uh, I had a speech language pathologist actually who would come to my home and try to help me learn how to read again. And she would bring me all of these materials that most of the materials that are designed to teach people how to read are designed with five-year-olds in mind, right? And it's really hard for me at the age of 24 to sit there and get invested in trying to read a story about Polly the parrot making friends at the zoo, right? <laughs> so um, I was having a really hard time and she was the one who was like, let's, let's figure out something you like that, that can help you learn how to read again. So we sat down and looked at my Steam library of video games on my computer, and there were thousands of games. And we went through and tried to find ones that I could do with minimal reading, with uh, no ability to type, and only one hand. And the list from my thousands of games that I have went down to like three or four games. But it was a start, and we were able to kind of get me started motivating myself to read. We'd turn down the sound and turn on the subtitles and see if I could still keep up with what was going on. Um, and it just really opened my eyes to the fact that like, video games have largely excluded disabled people for a very long time. And in the past 10 years or so, there have been just really great strides in video game accessibility. So I've been really, really pleased to be a part of that over the past decade. Well, yeah, thank you so much for, uh, you know, sharing that about your, your personal challenges uh, and uh, you've obviously come in an amazingly, uh, uh, an amazing way forward from that. Uh, I was wondering, uh, you know, before that happened, um, were you on a, you know, what kind of track were you on in terms of your uh, pursuit of education and uh, career? Um, I was just pursuing um, coding, video game coding. I was working at the, the corporation that I work for now, Eagles Flight. They do um, these corporate trading games. I was working for them and on the side was working for some little indie developer studios, making video games and making some games myself for fun. Um, that was really the path that I was on. Uh, and it just entirely shifted to strictly accessibility focused after that. And I have come a long way in terms of um, like my ability to speak, for example, I no longer struggle with aphasia like I did, but um, because I have multiple sclerosis now, that's a degenerative disease that gets worse over time. So I don't know what parts of that are going to enter my life again in the future. Um, and I'm really passionate about the removal of barriers, not just for other people, but also because I want to be able to still do things in the future. Um, and it, the way that the world is currently built, there are a lot of things I might not be able to do in five years, 10 years, and I would like to remove those barriers as much as possible. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I think well, that people who have like no ability to read, I, I do have cognitive dysfunction still that makes it difficult for me to read. So I use a screen reader. Um, I'm a sighted screen reader user and I use uh, voice to text because I have difficulty with, yeah, still reading and writing. Um, and it's just amazing to me how many areas of the world are inaccessible and areas of video games and tech that are inaccessible to people like me, that it just is so simple to just make them accessible. <laughs> well, I, I mean, a, a lot of people that may not be involved in accessibility directly uh, really don't understand uh, the importance uh, of the use of screen readers for, for many people uh, uh, like yourselves and, and people who may be blind or low vision. And, and then just keyboard only access in that that's a way to connect up other uh, devices to be able to interact with the, uh, the computer. And so uh, um, I, I think we're, you know, there's been some progress in that area, but there's still a long way to go. Um, in uh, in terms of uh, you know your situation, you know after you had the stroke and were uh, on the road to recovery, was there a time where um, you discovered accessibility as a profession separate from it being something that you were hoping to help with your recovery and and your interest in gaming? Yeah, it really started with me wanting to be able to play games and contacting development studios and being like, look, I have a, a career history in video game development. I see a barrier here to people like me. We can't play your game. And I also know the fix. And I would just like reach out to development studios and ask them to fix things. Um, and I was also streaming on Twitch a lot at the time. And I kind of, there was this built community of other people who wanted to play games and also had disabilities who came and would hang out in my Twitch streams. And so I would become aware of more issues and I gained a platform in a few different video games. I became partnered with a few game development companies as a Twitch streamer. So I had a voice to speak for people who would come to my stream and be like, I'm low vision and I actually would really like to see this change. Um, a lot of colorblind folks being like, I can't play this game. I can't even watch you play it because there's no colorblind mode. So I was able to start advocating for people. And that turned into, why don't I do this for my job? Does anyone do this for their job? Like, is there video game accessibility? And I started reaching out and connecting with other uh, specialists in the industry who do focus just on accessibility. People like um, Ian Hamilton and Tara Volker and Bryce Johnson and people who uh, who were early days already talking about, not early days, it should have been from square one that we're trying to make games accessible, but it's really just been in the past 10 years or so. Um, and, and I found uh, other game developers at um, conferences and things like uh, A11Y or Ally TO is a conference here in Canada that happens every year that's specifically about digital accessibility. And they have a gaming only conference portion as well now where a few days of the conference are all just about video game accessibility. And I've met so many people there. And then there's like GA Conf overseas. I would go to these conferences um, that are focused on video game accessibility and meet others in the industry who work in video game development, care about accessibility, but maybe didn't know how to implement it. And then also I would meet people who knew how to implement it um, and maybe didn't work in. So we kind of, it became this hive mind collaborative thing. And I'm still really uh, 
good friends with a lot of these colleagues <laughs> because we met at a time when there wasn't a ton of discussion around accessibility in video games. And it's kind of grown from there to now where there are studios like Ubisoft and Naughty Dog. And uh, there, there are just a lot of studios and Xbox, they, they have a huge focus now on accessibility and they have teams that their entire job is to just make games more accessible. So I kind of evolved into the position of a digital accessibility specialist rather than just a video game developer and a coder and a programmer um, while the industry evolved. We kind of evolved alongside each other, <laughs> which mm -hmm. has been interesting. And well, I, I was no, by no means a trailblazer of that. I got to kind of like follow the trail that other people had already set out. Well, I, you know, one of the, one of the things that you've been doing, which um, is, is extremely valuable, is is your advocacy, your evangelism, and and you know, using your your position to uh, provide a voice for others uh, to these organizations, and and I, and that makes a difference. Um, you mentioned uh, Xbox, and and Bryce Johnson is one of the people that we've interviewed for this and uh yeah bryce was uh kind enough to uh, invite to a host our uh, local seattle uh, inclusive design and accessibility meetup group at the uh, accessibility lab on their campus and and you see something like that and and it it just shows a really uh you know thoughtful approach to you know, bringing people in with various disabilities to think out of the box about you about what gaming could be and and also working through some of the hard problems yeah bryce johnson is a phenomenal guy and honestly i think all of the people that i've met through my video game accessibility work have been just really great people and it's an interesting um, dynamic to go to these conferences over any other type of accessibility conference or any other type of development conference because uh, meeting up with these people, it's just such an empathy-driven industry. Everyone really cares about making sure that everyone can access play and joy and entertainment. And that's such a good uh, vibe to be around. And all of these people that I've met don't just care about their job. You know, their job is not just a job. And for me, it's the same. It's like, our jobs aren't just a way that we make our money and have a nine to five. We're also trying to make it a difference in people's lives as, as corny as that seems and sounds. But as a disabled individual myself, I, I know that the people who go out there and make things more accessible to me as a wheelchair user, for example, I use a wheelchair and um, people who go out and actually make those changes in the world do have a, a real impact on my daily life, you know? Um, and I think, um, I mean, Bryce Johnson, as an example, a couple of years ago when my MS started to progress a little bit more rapidly and I lost function in my left hand, um, <clears throat> he reached out to me, not as Bryce Johnson from Xbox, but just as Bryce Johnson, who knows some people, who knows some solutions. Um, we're not just looking at, you know, only Microsoft solutions. Here's another thing I heard of that might help you. Here's another thing, like what can we do to figure out a way you can still play the games you love? Like we're all just in this because we wanna make sure that people can still access enjoyment. Um, there's this question that I get asked a lot where people will say, why do you focus on video game accessibility rather than like legislative changes and 
you know, making sure there's wheelchair access to buildings, why something as frivolous as video games, like why is that the thing you're the most passionate about? And I think there's this kind of idea that video games are just a nice to have, not a need to have. It's like, you know, it's just a thing that people can do for fun, but if disabled people can't do it too bad, that's not the end of the world. But in my experience, like the ability to connect with friends, the ability to have a hobby and enjoy your life and have fun and blow off steam, like that is a need to have. This to me is as important as legislation and uh, access to voting and access to all these other things that I do also care about and do also advocate for. Um, but this is just as important just because it's video games and just because it's recreation doesn't mean it's not something that everyone needs to be able to access. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, I mean, that people represent it that way. It seems like really narrow view. I mean, the video game industry actually, I believe dwarfs traditional cinema, uh, in terms of uh, the amount of uh, money that's there and, and its reach, uh, and uh, and the and but if you look at what you know with the cinema uh, going to film houses for a long time, there's been accessibility uh, built in uh, both in physical spaces, but also in technology that's available, and the the movies themselves for a long time have been available with uh, uh, closed captions and audible descriptions. So um, there's no reason that the, uh, we shouldn't expect the video game industry to also be participating in those ways. Yeah, and there are some really brilliant people out there who are coding just the most impressive things into video games nowadays, just for sheer enjoyment. So taking those minds and those that level of talent and ability and focusing it in on things like, let's make sure people with disabilities can play this game too. Uh, there's just so much potential there. And uh, so uh, um, in terms of uh, the work that you're doing with uh, video games on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, like what, what types of uh, things are, are you involved in? Are you um providing feedback and consultancy are there are there any particular tasks that you normally have on a kind of a daily weekly basis with your work yeah there are i have a few projects ongoing right now bear with me as i scan my mind for nda yeah, no. <laughs> information sorry sure. no. <laughs> um that's the one the one thing about game development is studios are very 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 intense with the NDAs. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, I mean, you can so, just talk about it generally if you want, you know, the types yeah. of the activities you're involved in. Yeah, um, they're, for the most part, the most consulting work I do, like the most contract-based work that isn't for Eagle's Flight, which is my main job right now, um, which I can talk about what I do there as well. But uh, most of the work that I'm doing for like AAA studios and things like that, it's hiring me to look at barriers and the removal of barriers in the mechanics of the game and the mechanics of the gameplay. So it might look like sending me a few copies of a game uh, to play through or um, developer access to a not yet released game to try it out and then raise any issues that I see. Also, there's been a big push on just general education for development studios and their staff. So sometimes I'll get asked to come speak to staff about like, here are some of the common barriers I see as a disabled gamer. 
here are some other things that other people have let me know they see as disabled gamers. And then with looking at it through the lens of having worked in game development myself, um, I can offer some best practices. Uh, so that's often kind of the work I do. Um, and then there's also things that are more social aspect. And um, so sometimes I'm brought in more to talk about uh, narrative of a game, to talk about the script, whether or not there's like too much ableist language or like any ableist language is too much, but uh, whether or not the, the language choices, like what are we saying to and about disabled people if we're gonna talk about disability in this game, if we're gonna have disabled characters, we should have representation. Let's make sure it's realistic representation. Let's make sure it's respectful representation. Um, let's make sure that we're saying good things to and about disabled players who wanna play this game. And let's make sure this game is accessible to the community that we're representing with this character. So if there's a blind character in a game, that's great to have representation, but it would really kind of be important not to profit off the experience of blind people and then not let them play your game because it's not accessible to blind people. So things like that I often consult on as well. It's kind of been all over the place. Game development studios will just reach out and, and say, look, we, we heard you did work with X studio. We heard you speak at this conference. We were wondering, we have this game idea. We wanna put a disabled character in there. What should that look like? Uh, can we run it by you what we're thinking? Um, or we wanna have, we wanna do an initiative for uh, accessibility in gaming. We wanna do a, a marketing campaign to show that like everyone should access games and we wanna make sure that we're not being disrespectful. So can we run some of this by you? So a lot of things like that, It's it kind of, it's kind of all over the place <laughs> what I do. Um, but the main chunk is probably the actual mechanics of a game, the actual code of a game, looking over that and saying like, this functionally doesn't work. People can't access this. Well, well you refer to it as all over the place, but uh, to me, it sounds like you've uh, crafted a very thoughtful and comprehensive approach uh, to a lot of different important aspects. Um, you know, as uh, one of the things that I, yeah, another thing I always like to uh, ask about is, you know, people's thoughts about the future. Um, you know, some we can always kind of look around us and see things that, um, you know, we're, we think could be better. We're hopeful that could be better. Uh, we're, there are also things that we may be, uh, you know, looking forward to in the future personally to be working on uh, for our own satisfaction and for the for to, to help others. Uh, are there any of those areas, uh, you know, looking forward that you're particularly interested in or, or concerned about in terms of uh, getting done? Yeah, I definitely, there are definitely some big gaps that I see in the current situation of, of accessibility in gaming in general. And specifically, um, I think there's, there's so much cool potential in augmented reality and virtual reality gaming. So like VR headsets, that immersive gaming experience and largely that's inaccessible to people with disabilities. I was on a panel recently with some others uh, who also all are disabled individuals with a range of disabilities. And we were talking about gaming and all of us were like, VR gaming just feels like it's something that we don't get to do. It's like, that's not for disabled people. And I don't wanna live in a world where there's anything that it's like, that's not for disabled people. Everything should be for, for us too. 
So I would really love to see a push in. So games like Pokemon Go um, with the augmented reality where you're you're walking around and using GPS to interact with this game. Not everyone can do that. There are people who aren't able to do all of those things. And during the pandemic, they changed their game entirely to make it more possible to play from home where you still could go out and go for walks and meet up with people. But you also could experience most of the game just sitting in your home. And a lot of us with disabilities started playing during the pandemic. And then now as they're scaling those accommodations back, they're saying, oh, the pandemic is over, which it's not, but they, they are saying it is. And they're saying, so let's scale this back and get back to normal. Well, normal, it's only normal based on a non-disabled person's standards. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it would be really great to see. Um, and then in terms of VR gaming with the headsets and things, there are so many of us, like I, when I'm in my wheelchair, if I'm playing a game with my Oculus Quest, for example, I have one, and there are so few games I can play where I'm sitting in one spot. You have to kind of move around which is great it's great to have that option and i'm not saying we should do away with that in games because for people who can do it i'm sure that's incredibly fun but for me if i'm if it's a day that i'm using my wheelchair i need to use my hands to move so i can't shoot and walk at the same time i can't paint a picture and move around at the same time i need to use my hands so i end up like shooting at the ground in a circle as i'm trying to move and run away from enemies it would be great to have options uh, that make those types of games also playable by disabled people. So I'm hoping that some people with more knowledge of VR gaming get into that space uh, in terms of accessibility, because unfortunately I have no idea how to code a VR game. (laughs) I have no idea um, how to actually work in that space, but I'd love to see change there for sure. I'd also love to see a lot more change that's like intersectional. I'd love to see a focus not just on like making games more accessible to just people with disabilities but also to remember that people with disabilities come in all shapes and sizes and colors and they're like there's um and all racial backgrounds so you know my experience as a white disabled person is different than the experience of a disabled black person or person of color or indigenous person and that gets lost in the conversation sometimes and a lot of panels that i've been on that have had some racial diversity it's really highlighted how the experiences of um, white disabled players and black disabled players or cis disabled players and trans disabled players are just really different. So I personally would like to see more of a focus on um, remembering that we're not a monolith. And it's if we're going to just try to, I've had corporations uh, have me sit down and try to narrow down who are we trying to make this game accessible for? Let's build a character. Let's build an avatar of a person that is the person we're trying to like, are they like, what are they like? Are they a blind person? Are they a, and it's like, let's not narrow the focus so much when we're making things accessible. Let's make them accessible to as wide a range of people with a ton of different experiences. And that means centering the voices of people who have those experiences and making sure we're consulting with them and and involving them in the process. Well, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you. You've given me a lot to uh, think about. I've learned a lot myself, uh, things I hadn't uh, considered before. And uh, uh, it, it, it's really great to see, uh, you know, all the, the work that you're doing in advocacy for this uh, area. And you mentioned conferences and uh 
in the olden days before the pandemic, I used to love to go to conferences and maybe we'll uh, meet up in an accessibility conference at some point. That'd be great. I do miss the networking part of conferences, but since the pandemic, it's been easier to attend conferences as a disabled mm -hmm. person because for me anyway, uh, for my set of disabilities, it's been a lot easier because um, I can watch things later at my own pace or I can, you know, just stay in my home. So yeah, it's been interesting, but it will be good to get back to that social networking aspect. All right. Thank you very much, Lorelai. Thanks for having me. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best-in-class design, we can move existing designs to development in a sprint. And maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X.com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.